They were high school sweethearts that got married and had two kids. It's the Brunettes. From a new location, they tweet all day, but that's okay. They're the Brunettes. She is a journalist. He is a wonk. Wonk, wonk, wonk. They talk about the news or whatever they want. In the fight for justice, they're on your side. You can't deny it's the Brunettes. low-quality podcast. This is Liz Brunig. This is my husband, Matt. Hello. And today we welcome on Gordon Keith, who is, let's see, the Poet Laureate of North Texas. Uh, and there's not a soul in North Texas, possibly the entire state, who doesn't know who Gordo is. Um, and if you don't, it's because states outside of Texas suck. Yes. And I should say, um, before before Richard Hunter left, I think it was a close one-two between him and Gordo. But now that Richard Hunter's in Rito, Nevada, I think Gordo definitely is number one in Texas. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about that now. Not at this point. Uh, so, Gordo, welcome. If this wasn't a setup to failure, I have no <laughs> idea. <what it> is. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're not expecting you have to, me to be funny. Yeah, no, no, now no. you have to really deliver. No, it should absolutely be uncomfortable. Like the time Ricky Gervais met that comedian he really liked. And, Gary and, Shandling. Yeah, and kept trying to riff <laughs> off of him, and he was just fucking not having it. God, that was so tense. It was, I have seen physical confrontations less tense. I think that, that ultimately killed Gary Shandling, too. <laughs> it took it years off my life. After. <laughs> and then Richard Hunter, you mentioned Richard Hunter. You know, he was the guy who... Brought Lamar Odom back to life. I know. I saw it. this this morning. Like, I was watching died his in a um, brothel. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching his. What was it like? Access Hollywood or inset or something like that. Yeah. And he was yeah the media yeah, assistant. I know. It turned into Access Hollywood, which I often do. And then there's Richard Hunter talking about how he brought Lamar Odom back to life. You know. Yeah. Like, it didn't seemed that, that guy used to work at our station, and now all of a sudden his. Chris Angel asses on TMZ uh, <laughs> or whatever, bringing back basketball players. It seemed like it wasn't a good move from a PR perspective to reveal all this information about a client. Like he, he's giving these interviews, and he's like, "Yeah, we went in there, and he had some herbal Viagra, and no. he was just laying on his side, mm, that's and not good. yeah, some of yeah. the girls said he'd had a little bit of cocaine. It's oh. like." surely some kind of discretion is part of this business. <laughs> like, I know. Are brothels, do they have to observe HIPAA laws or anything like that? <laughs> <laughs> they should. Uh, we, I remember on like the, um, um, for whatever reason, the uh, advanced placement American history test, there was this question. We were doing a practice test in class, and the question was like, what was the cause of death of Lynn Bias? I had no idea who this even was. And, <laughs> One of these kids across from me goes, oh, he died of a cocaine over. And before he could get cocaine overdose out of his mouth, our teacher goes, heart failure. 
<laughs> we had like a strange, it was a big moment in American history. A strange truther moment where it's like, well, what is truly the cause of death in a cocaine overdose? You know, really, it's right. heart failure. So yeah. why are you bringing cocaine into it? All death is basically cardiac arrest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> over the real cause of death with that. <laughs> it really yeah. always the comes organs down stop to, working. You know what can I say? Yeah, That's the heart of the brain just don't work no more. Speaking um, of brothels. Absolutely. Would you guys ever go to one? You ever curious, like, to see what happens in there? I've been to one. You have? Oh, that's right. You did go to that uh, one I in Vegas. Uh, people in for life. journalistic reasons. Yeah, journalistic journalistic research reasons. Um, I interviewed some some workers in Vegas. Uh, you know, it, it, I guess I envisioned it would be a lot more cool and a lot less kind of just transparently unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the, the the Love Ranch or the Bunny Ranch or whatever Hunter was at, it's like wood paneled out mm. in the sort of rural area. It did not look exciting. It's like a yeah. motel, you know, and then the girls are in different rooms. And uh, it's like, you know, you go to the store and you, you buy like uh, 50 Tylenol PM, a tub of cookie dough, uh, some beer and then you're thinking to yourself the the, the cash out you know the, the checkout person the cashier they're not judging me they're not even thinking about this but they right. are right no they absolutely <laughs> are and that's it's the same situation with the the workers at the brothels <laughs> so it was vaguely depressing super yeah wasn't yeah it wasn't vague it was intensely depressing mm. um and also i mean kind of funny um it, it would be. It would be. A, yeah, a I don't know. Time. I mean, I'm. I'm sure they they laugh at the clients Absolutely. and stuff like that all the time. I would have a hard time getting into the suspending the reality of knowing that. Oh, they think I'm disgusting and weird, probably. And a lot of them are in relationships. Um, so I I asked a couple of the workers, "How did you get into this line of work?" And they're like, "No, oh, my boyfriend is my pimp." Mm. I was like, all right, mine too. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> Keeping the family. Keeping the family. Yeah, I, I was like, all right, yeah, well, okay then. Uh, that works out. Um, did, the, did the women at least profess to enjoy their job, or did they complain to you about their their station in life? A couple of them said that it was easier work for more money than other shitty jobs they had done. Right. Right, so they're like... You know, being a waitress sucks. Uh, having to pick up a ton of hours, being a cleaning lady sucks. Uh, so this is, you know, a couple hours of work I can make what I did as a as a cleaning lady. So, mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's a great country we have. Um, it's awesome. I don't uh, want to think about the cleanup at a brothel. Yeah, Ooh. gosh, imagine that. Uh, I mean, I guess we should have Lamar Odom on next to ask about the internal world. <laughs> we could probably get Richard Hunter on. I searched him on YouTube, and he's doing all sorts of any kind of podcast you could imagine. He was on it, so like. So Matthew McConaughey has also been on a podcast tour, and he recently spoke with Gordo. Uh, I take it that was about being a Christian in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was about. Actually, I did ask him about uh, spirituality and religion during our rambling twenty-five minute call that was only supposed to go about 10 minutes but you know how matthew is he's a verbal lava lamp he just kind of keeps going and changing shapes and you just keep staring at him as he speaks. 
How, um, how did it go? How was that conversation? Easy. Yeah. You know, Matthew's one of those guys who it seems like you've known all your life, and he acts like he's known you your whole life. You know, it's you fall into an easy rapport with him. What so, a cool guy. Yeah, he. you know, he is an interesting guy, and we like to laugh about him on our show just because he's, you know, he's so incredibly McConaughey. And, yeah. And But, it, you know, it starts off, when you start... When you're first exposed to Matthew McConaughey, you're kind of eye-rolling and like, God, is this guy for real? And then you find yourself liking him. It's like, yeah. at, at first he's irritainment, and then he's like soothing entertainment. Absolutely. You know, the more uh, people are committed to their bit, the better they are. Mm-hmm. It, it's t- 100% commitment to the bit. That's right. If they never break character, <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. Sure enough, uh, living life out there in that airstream. Yeah, there was the nude bongo drums incident in Austin. I mean, the man's just a legend. Um, He is. Have you ever spoken with him? I have not. I have not. I avoid trying to... um, I do the the opposite side of journalism. So instead of people who, like, have cool lives and are doing cool things, it's people who've been through horrible shit and are in horrible situations. That's the, that's the, the genre that I'm really drawn to. People who uh, work yeah. with Richard Hunter. Exactly. <laughs> yes. People who've met him. Uh, people who've been to Texas, North Texas, uh, who've lived in Arlington. Yeah, that's why we have you on. Yeah. yeah so, I so, have no idea why you guys have me on. Why you're wasting <laughs> your time with me is unbelievable. But I, I have to tell you, it's an honor to be on with you two guys because I've, I've heard about you for a few years now. And, uh, and of course, having any text conversation with Liz... Is something else because she's a multi-texter. She likes to break up one oh, thought yeah. into three oh, yeah. texts. <laughs> well, she texts from her computer, so she just treats it like chat. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Sounds Absolutely. like I got the Wii vibe set to cha-cha whenever we're in a text exchange. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, so I use the breaking up as like a pause in, a, in speech. Right. There, and there's so you get like periods, 30 notifications though, that you can use as well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about all that uh, newfangled stuff. <laughs> I just hit the enter button uh, and let that count as my punctuation. But, oh, you know, to actually ask a question here, why do you think the ticket works in North Texas? You have some of the like chudliest dudes on earth. Like my dad would listen to the ticket in the morning. This was when we were going uh, into the Iraq war and he was driving me to school. Uh, and he was like, yeah, this is cool. This is great. I love the Iraq war. We should absolutely do this. And I, I would wonder, even as a child, like, do you realize that the joke is kind of on you, man? Like when they, when they fake interview Saddam Hussein, <laughs> maybe not necessarily fully supportive of the war effort. Uh, but it's also just like a, a font of absurdist humor. Yeah, it is kind of fascinating. I, I, you know, like try to just at, at the time when I was growing up, I didn't think anything of it because the ticket is just all encompassing. It seems like the biggest thing. But then you leave, and then you get a bigger, you know, a bigger perspective. And even listening to sports radio in other places, which is like really unbearable to listen to, um, 
And then you go back and that's that's very strange. <laughs> like why <laughs> we've got like a, a you know kind of a, a top level sort of like really avant garde jokester. Now you guys have like a, a socialist in midday. Um, obviously, you don't talk politics that much, but like you know, you just wouldn't expect that to flourish. You would you would always expect something much more like I don't know what you get in New York City or D.C., which is just a bunch of like ex-linemen from the local team just talking about how much they love the local sports teams. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what was the question again? <laughs> why do you think it works? Yeah, why uh, does I it mean, work? Why, it, is, you know. it is a good question, and I don't really have that good of an answer to it. I don't know why it works. I don't know why it it worked for the first couple years, the first five years, ten years, and now we're going on, what, 26 years? Um, it keeps surviving beyond my expectations. When I started there, I figured it would last, you know, just a few weeks. And because we were having problems with funding, we were a mom and pop organization that was just a startup and it kept going and kept going. And, and I don't, I don't know why it works. I think it has something to do with people like tuning in and just hearing people having a good time or listening to people genuinely enjoy each other's company and, making each other laugh and yeah and because we kind of let our intuition guide us as to what we talk about you know it's not just all laughs sometimes we get serious obviously when things are going serious in the world we can either find refuge in humor or we can talk about those things that are kind of touching people's hearts and give our own take on it as long as you're communicating somewhat honestly about something i think that's compelling i think that 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 is People can sense that. People can sense when you're not just saying something to say something, when you're opening up your heart and giving a reaction to, like when the Twin Towers came down, I remember that was a real big moment for us as a station because here this sports station goes all, you know, talk about the terrorist attacks and what that means to our country and what's it going to mean in our culture going forward and does this change our lives permanently or do we quickly resume our former horrible selves? Um, so, I mean, I think that it, it works because of the blend of people that we just somehow were able to gather when that stardust was falling. We caught just the right people, uh, when the station first went on. Especially the Norm. Yeah. <laughs> Norm's the big one. It's the Atlas holding the whole thing up. That Norm is the show right after hours that he's on our station now. Cause I grew up listening to him. You guys are a little bit younger than me. I'm uh, 83 now, but <laughs> but Norm, I grew up listening to Norm, and now he's on our station. So that's interesting to hand it off to him every morning. Norman Adolf Hitzkiss, so he's classic. Uh, um. How that guy's not punched me out, I have no idea. <laughs> I like I like your your recent observation that he's he's started to talk uh, more jive uh, as uh, as he's brought on a black co-host, which is very uncomfortable. Oh, no, yeah, it is. No, you know, this guy his. His growth stopped in about 1978. And so uh, when he's talking with Donnie, who's a, a, uh, his black co-host now, and Donnie's a younger guy too, and Norm tries to talk hip, and his idea of hip is lingo he heard on the Jeffersons. Oh, so God. It just is, it's painful. <laughs> you, you excuse him in the way that you do oftentimes grandparents. So you just kind of make exceptions for it. When he calls yeah, you no, a jive turkey. Oh. <laughs> Did you say to me? You remind me of uh, 
in Royal Tenenbaums when Royal is talking to uh, that accountant that's trying uh, to marry yes, yes. Uh, his Danny ex-wife. Danny Glover. Danny Glover. And he starts uh, talking, uh, you know, it calls him Coltrane and like so really cold. trying to... Cook. <laughs> that is so tense. And it's rough. Yeah. Hey, speaking of, of tense things, so here's something I, I'm... You know, in preparation for this interview, uh, I'm known as a guy who thoroughly does my homework. Oh, wow. And uh, so I go to your Patreon page, and I'm seeing, like, all these additional episodes, and I've got to be, i got to become a member. i got to start donating to you guys, because I see several topics that titillated me, (laughs) about ready to convince me to hand over five bucks a month, because I want to know. Y'all's thoughts on Jerry Falwell Jr.'s cucking situation. <laughs> I want to know what the story is behind OnlyFans trying to recruit Liz. <laughs> <laughs> See, these are very, you know, they, they should bring in the clicks. Always the privates. Always I comes watched back that to the privates. Chris Watts movie. I want to discuss that movie with you guys. That is the most Yeah, what were your opinions on that? Isn't I mean, it? I'll give you the short of it. I was like, well, how the hell do you think he was going to get away with this? That was yeah. pretty much my take. So I love like the true crime shit because I'm a female and Matt, you know, reaches out to me by being like, hey, I watched this true crime film on the on the Chris Watts. How did he ever think he was going to get away with this? And that's <laughs> Matt's response to literally every crime. <laughs> I don't He's know, like, but man, I was so <laughs> dialed in when the when the. Um, what is it? The badge cam? What do you call that thing that the cops wear? Uh, yeah, yeah, the, the body, body cam. cam. Yeah, body cam thing. When that footage was released of them going into the neighbor's house and Chris Watts yes. watching the security footage from the neighbor's cameras, yeah. that was the most tense thing I've ever seen in my life. It was so, and he, he kind of somehow papered over it, and, and then I don't know, like he kind of powered through it, and then he left, and then the neighbor looked at the cop and was like. Yeah, no, that's real weird. Like, that's definitely, definitely his truck. Like, I definitely killed yeah. her. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I like Chris Watts's reaction to anything that causes him stress is to absentmindedly text or scroll on his phone. <laughs> he just kept staring at that. Another thing that you guys have a extra value podcast about is, <laughs> this cracks me up, emergency pod. The Bruni to render judgment on the Jeffrey Tubin case. <laughs> yeah, we were going to ask you about that case. We love, uh, especially during election years, like within ten days of election day, doing emergency podcasts. Well, there, there's there's a, a very a popular politics podcast called Pod Save America. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're familiar yes. with it, but uh-huh. uh, yeah, they do a lot of emergency pods, which uh, you know I just find the whole like you find the concept very <laughs> ridiculous. Um, so. Well, they'll do like emergency pods on the Amy Coney Barrett confirmation. Yeah, no, it'll be stuff yeah. like uh, Pete Buttigieg dropped out today. Emergency pod. Or <laughs> like J Tube took hog on camera. Uh, let's let's see what the fallout is of that for the the storied institution known as the New Yorker. Um, no, so what's this, happening with Tubin? Is he so, going to uh, lose his job there at the New Yorker? Well, we think he shouldn't. We that was stand our take. in solidarity. Uh, with weirdos who get caught whacking off at work. No, we'll say he wasn't at work. It was a very interesting case, you know. (laughs) Matt used to be a labor lawyer. He wasn't at work, and he didn't know the camera was on. It was more of like an incidental broadcast of like (laughs) private images, I would say. (laughs) Right. Which, you know, that could happen. I'd say warning, suspension. If it happens again, you're fired. That, that That was my take. 
Yeah, do we do warnings anymore? Or is it just... Yeah, he's suspended. Okay. Um, I don't usually. I talk to some people, like HR people, and they're really much like, it's like fire or nothing. There's nothing in between. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, when I was a, a union man, definitely in those contracts we had, uh, there were gradations of things, warning, written warning, suspension, and then eventually you get fired. Um, but now it's very much one or the other. Is that really a good thing? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he like just have him get on a company-wide Zoom call and let everyone laugh. I think everybody's <laughs> scared of that now. <laughs> Everyone's, I want to yeah. Zoom with Jeffrey Tubin just to see what will happen. that's what people are always saying when they've got jeff tubin on the zoom what's going to happen next you just don't know it's like (laughs) courtney love um he is the courtney love of the new yorker (laughs) he's been a very much a tabloid figure i don't know if you looked into his background gordo wasn't he involved (laughs) with uh green greenfeld's daughter right Yeah, yeah tried to get her to have an abortion yeah he said, yeah, he, he said, I he will offered, pay for your abortion. Wasn't the offer like if she got an ab- if she aborted his baby, he would pay for her anonymous sperm donor to have another baby? Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. He's like, I know you really want a baby, but I just I don't want it to be mine. I don't want to pay the child support. So let's God. let's work something out yeah, here. So we're starting to get a little <laughs> overlap in the Falwell Tubin Venn diagram. Yeah, we are. We are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only interested in, and in, uh, you know, and then the, the listeners can fill in the rest of that joke. I liked your, I liked your Falwell, uh, your your uh, youth minister oh, yeah. Falwell bit, the uh, in which you just kept demanding that Bob Sturm stop defending him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was really good. So you have an excellent ear for the North Texas accent, uh, which I I feel like you're the the like original gangster of in a way that like Zach Galifianakis has somewhat imitated. With a uh, kind of effeminate Southern-sounding characters. Oh yeah, why do you grow up around those things, those types of people? When you're, you know, I grew up Southern Baptist. My father was a Southern Baptist minister, and in elementary school, I lived in Mississippi, which is where my parents were from, and then the rest of my time here in Texas. So it seems like there was always an effeminate, generic youth minister. In every church we were in, and they always kind of talk like that and make sure, you know, you show up on Saturday night. We're going to have some fellowship here. We want you guys here. Come on. It's going to be an ice cream social, you know, and that that sort of thing. So you just internalize that voice after a while. Is that your inner monologue? Yes. I only hear my inner thoughts in that voice. (laughs) We, uh, We had a debate coach in high school who believed that Matt had a heavy t- southern accent that only came out when he was angry really? and it occurred to me that he had come to believe this was involuntary when in fact it was matt mocking people oh yeah that's when oh, i was really? yeah like imitating a dumb guy or yeah, something he'd be yeah. like i was in a debate round with this guy who was like uh just listen here partner uh if you think that you're going to get away with the value that's not equality in the United States of America, you got another thing coming. And our debate coach was like, guess that's how Matt sounds when he's angry. That's <laughs> just really pissed at this other Do guy. Do identify debate. you guys as having Southern accents? Mistakenly in this Occasionally case. Occasionally people will, will, I don't know, they seem to think that my voice is a little, I don't know, off. Like they don't really know how to place it. Um, oh, it's just the autism. Is that the autism? Yeah, I assume. I do. Voice is all autismed up. I, <laughs> I slip into it only when I'm uh, saying something like "bell" or "hell," 
that that sound, I will occasionally, if I'm not thoughtful about it, say bail, bail, hail. Yeah, I will say that from time to time. What about that's y'all? That's about it. Oh, we're a major y'all household. Yeah, that's kind of spread though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kinda it's woke pronoun way. now. Yeah. yeah. Because it's, it's, uh, it, it is gender neutral. Gender, yeah. It is gender neutral. So get and some points there. I didn't think I had a Southern accent. And then when I would travel, when I used to do more TV stuff, it seemed like it was always out in Los Angeles. And I would go there, and people there would always comment on my Southern accent. They go, You clearly have an accent. And I didn't think I did. But they say, Yeah, oh, yeah, man, you have a, you have a thick Southern accent. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't perceive it myself, but I guess if you're in it, you don't see it I as much. I had something that I uh, I wanted to pitch you on, Gordo, by the way. Uh, would you like to uh, write a television program with me, which is set in military base housing? Okay. There's the plot. All right. That's it? Right there. Yeah, that's it's the just a bunch it's, of... Wait, wait, a, bunch a television show that's set where, where? In military base housing. So, like army guys and their wives and kids living on base. So this is this is like the Will Ferrell Talladega Nights pitch which was just me writing a NASCAR movie. Yeah. That was it and they were like, "Yep, yeah. sold 20 million dollars yeah. or whatever." Exactly. This is uh me and maybe you and also Gordo uh just doing a show called like Base Camp. <laughs> okay, so that that's all you're bringing to the table is just that idea and then you <laughs> fill in the it's rest all of the yeah, I you figured can get that would be the, of the revenue will go to you. Division of labor. <laughs> Sounds um, like we're getting the heavy lifting here. <laughs> you know, you got your different kinds of guys, your typology of guys. I want to see um, Gordo write on righteous gemstones. I feel like you would be great dude, in the writer's Yeah, are you a Danny there. McBride great fan? Show. I love that show. I'm like exquisitely sensitive to bad southern accents. Like most of Hollywood, I'd say mm-hmm. 98% of Hollywood horrible southern accents yeah. they never get them right but righteous gemstones particularly uh baby billy uncle baby billy <laughs> he, he has he has the cadence and the delivery of so many southern guys i know uh that that's the real deal there that <laughs> that righteous gemstones it's exquisite so is eastbound and down <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, especially having lived in marietta georgia for part of my childhood uh, absolutely weirdly underdeveloped kind of rural suburbs with just like tons of land. Yeah. Huge yeah. Lots. Now you, you usually get like a treatment of the South that's either kind of like cowboyish or, or like poorish, but you know, obviously the bulk of the people that live in the South are not poor or cowboyish. They're these like suburban, uh, you know, I don't know how to describe, but like Danny catches it. He, he knows exactly like all the different pieces of it, the mm-hmm. houses, the uh, the, the clothing. Um, Naming so. your child after Rose from Titanic. <laughs> A lot of that. Uh. I like North Texas. I mean, I, I write about it all the time, and I'm always trying to capture what it is about this place that I find so interesting, and I have not succeeded in doing that yet, uh, but still trying. Uh what do you think, having lived in a lot of different places, makes North Texas interesting? You know, I think, hmm, there's something about this place that seems like it's such a, it, it doesn't have anything at its heart. There, There's a lot of layers to it, but I don't know what's at the, the very bottom of it. 
You know, it's like we have Absolutely. the bleach blondes and we have the JRs and we have the, uh, we have a lot of people that, that seem to be from somewhere else. And even the yeah. people that were born here seem to be from somewhere else. I don't know <laughs> what it is that, that, a that rapidly growing state that I have of not n- knowing what the center of people here is. Um, I think that's right. I, I talked to a professor once who'd written a book on Arlington and I was like, why don't we have public transit? And he said, the city has no heart. You have to have a hub. That's true. It yeah. has no hub. It's just endless sort of like Sim City copy pastes of the same few blocks uh, forever. And it's not organized in any way. And there's no ethos. And yet people are really into it. Like they love it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know, I, I kind of agree. And on some level, it, I, I wonder if that's what engendered the absurdist tendencies is living in a place like that. Yeah, um, it seems strange to just have such a, a huge, and this, this place has grown so much even since I started working, you know, in radio here. Uh, I think when we started, I think we were market number nine or something like that in the mm-hmm. nation. And now I think we're market like, four you mm-hmm. know it's like i didn't even have to move anywhere in order for to to move up in the world of radio as far as market size this yeah, place keeps growing and it keeps growing and it seems so strange for a place to keep growing and keep growing when it's not organized around any geographical feature or what's the reason for this town being here you know <laughs> <No> industry <laughs> yeah it's, it's just uh it's like uh a kind of endless sprawl set on this escarpment of like yellow dead grass and interstates. And like there's a big lots right on the interstate. Like the access road goes directly into the parking lot. I know it. <laughs> and that, that's, that's, that's our environment. <laughs> uh, why do you think most comedy sucks? So this is something that I think about a lot, but I'm not funny so I'm not sure. Uh, but like Saturday Night Live, does that do anything for you? You know, I just watched the opening, the cold open, which was the latest debate, parody of the latest debate mm. uh, from Saturday. It was on Saturday night. It was the last presidential debate. And I, I don't know. It, it always kind of confounds me, too, because you know that there's a tremendous amount of funny people that work on that show. But there must be something in the mechanism of having to crank out a live show and writing it from scratch for the most part in a week's time that somehow rewards some sketches that are just not that funny. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it seems to me the same way it seems to a lot of people who don't understand the inner workings of it, I guess, that if you have Saturday Night Live, that's the premier destination for sketch comedy in America and has been for decades there should never not be a funny Saturday Night Live or never yeah. not be a funny sketch. So I don't, I don't quite understand how there are misses on that show, but obviously it is a tremendously difficult job because they have some of the best people in the world working on it and they can't even get it right. So comedy, I guess, at its heart is somewhat of a mystery as to what makes something consistently funny or somebody consistently funny. Oh, certainly a mystery to me. Um, you like the We Wish You a Mueller Christmas segments, all the Mueller <laughs> segments, uh, impeachment and removal, you into that? 
I haven't seen that. What is that? Oh, my God. Oh, wow. They had all the girls on the show dress up kind of sexy and do a we wish you a Mueller Christmas kind of like all I want for Based Christmas. Based on the, you. the uh-huh. Mueller report. You <laughs> yeah. Know? Robert Mueller was going to impeach Trump, Trump by the new year, they said. This was like a couple of years ago. It was real cringe. Yeah. It was rough. Didn't, didn't quite he, happen. Did you no. see the <laughs> controversial sketch from this past weekend? Um, as of this, this taping this past weekend, the Adele sketch, the Africa sketch. Oh no! That does not sound good. Yeah, no, it's that rough. sounds like a uh, that sounds like a unforced error. Yeah, um, ill-advised. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put my green light on that. Um, you know, in in this like same domain of 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 political humor. Uh, why? What? What do you make of the of the Jerry Falwell Jr. thing? There, there's like there, there's something uh, commonly perverse about megachurch guys. Uh, like the 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 funniest all time megachurch guy is Mark Driscoll. Do you know Mark Driscoll, Gordo? Mark Criswell. Uh, Driscoll. Oh, Driscoll. Yeah. Sorry, we've got a. I have a bad connection listening to you guys back, so it's hard for me Sorry. to catch every word. No, Mark Driscoll, who is he? He is just one of the greatest mega church guys of all time. Like, so he starts off uh, identifying the problem that Christianity is just too much for pussies. Yeah, it's not. It's not masculine enough. Macho Christianity. And so he's going to fix that by wearing jeans and like uh, kind of Ed Hardy shirts and like big silver man jewelry. And then his sermons are like, I don't know if y'all have read Song of Songs. Y'all wives out there ever read Song of Songs? You know what that book says in the Bible? It says you need to be waking your husband up with the blowjob. <laughs> and like that's every one of his sermons. That's a, that's a, seems to be an inside joke and ticket as well, incidentally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some yeah, waking them up in that special way. In that special way. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that the ticket that's his really whole ministry. Song of Songs, but yes, we did <laughs> talk about that from time. To time. I don't actually that, know if it appears in Song of Songs. That's key, the key part of his ministry for sure. But yeah, this is like uh, you know one of the major pillars of his form of Christianity. Um, only applies to women. Uh, <laughs> you gotta be careful there. Um, but there, there's something like the, the, the evangelical megachurch ministries quickly seem to converge upon privates for some reason. Of course. Uh, what do you think about that? Why? Why? Well, because I think that most of... Uh, I actually think that spirituality and sexuality are very, very closely related. I think that, that there's, something, there's something in the sexual experience that is probably closer to God than... Than most give it credit for. This is my shit. This is okay. Neoplatonism, Christian okay. Neoplatonism, Eros. Are you a Platonist, Gordo? Diodema's ladder. <laughs> Gordo, yes. a Platonist, confirmed. I'm editing the wiki after the show. All right. Yeah, well, you should. Yeah, Mark me down as a Neoplatonist. Put that down. There's something in the obviously. There's something in the moment of of orgasm with ego collapse and things like that. I think there's also a sense of, uh, you know, well, it's returning to the womb in some little way, which the womb is like the garden of Eden. Right. So, uh, 
There's a lot in there that's a mixture of sexuality and creationism. And I think that's why we fear sexuality so much because we know it is like this, it's this engine, it's this revving engine that can lead a person to communion. It's what are you going to commune with, right? This other physical body, but it also is this moment in which we kind of commune with God. It's probably, you know, it's probably no mistake that we always are yelling, oh God, the whole time we're doing that act. <laughs> you got to put two and two together here. Wake up, sheeple. <laughs> that's right. Do you think that's what the what the pole boy was saying? Jerry oh, Falwell's wife? God almighty. But I also think that guys that get in that position, I have uh, a, some compassion for them. I think they work themselves up into this position in which everyone is looking to them for guidance and leadership. And I think they're very, very lonely. I think that's a very lonely place to be. And, um, and I think that we're so conditioned to not have compassion for the fallen megachurch leader who might or might not have fleeced his congregants, uh, congregation for his own Gulfstream purposes. But, (laughs) but I think when they, when they fall and they get caught in something, it's, because in a lot of ways they didn't go through they they aren't allowed to go through the natural foibles that most adults are afforded so because they have so many eyes on them and and so that's why they do stupid things to screw it all up i think that's true i mean uh, jerry Fowell jr once he resigned at liberty tweeted free at last free at last yeah, uh, <laughs> a little bit disturbing. Quoting really MLK disturbing. there probably wasn't the best. <laughs> I don't know if I would have gone in that direction. I'm not sure that was a recommendation from his team to go yeah, with that quote. Yeah, didn't but. run that through the comms guy. <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, because yeah. he was not a, you know, he wasn't a minister. And and I think that he was, he he felt kind of pressured into taking over for his dad there in a yeah. way that I don't think that he would have chosen that naturally. No, no. The name had such command in that politicized side of Christianity. There was no way it was going to stay a vacuum. There was money there, purpose. But then, right, you're lonely and hemmed in, and your life is sort of governed by the expectations set up by your dad's ministry franchise. That's got to be rough. Mm-hmm. And that's um, why you end up in the corner of the room wearing only dress socks as you're lounging in a papa's on watching some 22 year old on top of your wife <laughs> what's amazing is that the the sheer number of people involved in this who are like all right yeah i'll go along with this like not only him but the wife the guy and know. the guy managed to get um all sorts of business deals and real estate out of it he i know was, he was very enterprising yeah he, he did yeah, not just want to have sex and that wife, if the more I read about it, she seemed fairly predatory. Yeah, there was another story of someone who was like, I was the bandmate of their kids, and she texted me. She snuck me into and, his room at night. Oh, my God. I think she sung a Solomon to him right oh, there. Oh, no. In the guest bed. <laughs> Not waking him up in that special way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Good Lord. Sure enough. Good night, man. I mean, it, you know, the good thing about being Catholic is we don't have any weird sex problems. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's the it's the one benefit. Um, people are like, you know, what makes the Catholic Church so great? And I'm like, well, our clergy never gets weirdly obsessed with privates in a disastrous way that destroys the whole American church. Hasn't happened. So how uh, is the, uh, did you guys practice the rhythm method? Like, are you that Catholic or are you... 
so Matt is not Catholic. Um, so uh, we we practiced a variant of the rhythm method of the of the fertility awareness method, and the result of that is our daughter Jane. <laughs> We've had the uh, yeah. little, little high high uh, the success rate on that one is not not great. Yeah, I think they might be. Tr- I think they might be pulling the wool over your eyes a yeah, little bit. They're like, don't worry, that that you'll never work. get pregnant like this. <laughs> and uh, I, I I was talking to my gynecologist about this. I was like, oh, you know, I I just assumed I wasn't ovulating. He was like, well, sperm can live in the body for up to a week. Right. I was like, "This is bullshit, man. This is never <laughs> going to work." Needs to, <laughs> yeah. needs to update its uh, recommendations. Yeah, that's this is this is <laughs> wild. Uh, but then we, you know, once you have one kid, your life's already over, so you might as well have another. Yeah, definitely, the incremental kid is not as big of a yeah whip ass. Claire, so she, she they got call in bed it the morning. fertility awareness. Yes. So what the is idea it, fertility is, awareness method. Yeah, fam. <laughs> Oddly enough. Yeah, you do uh, wind up with a fam <laughs> after that. You will be looking like a fam <laughs> in no time. Um yeah, and uh you know, it's it's the kids are good. The kids have been a good addition. One of them uh, the 1-year-old bit my face this morning. Yeah. Like a zombie. Not Out of good. retaliation or just as a warning? <laughs> <laughs> Like all members of the household, she just likes to start the day off by bullying me, uh, knowing that I'll be docile and cooperative for the rest of the day. Uh, the four-year-old bullies me nonstop. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing. I was like sitting in a chair and she goes, why do you have such a fat belly? Yeah, she did say that once. I was like, holy shit, Jane. <laughs> I'm actually very thin. <laughs> she was just like, she came over and like slapped my stomach and was like, fat belly, fat belly. <laughs> Anyway, she might as well have shoved me in a fucking locker. <laughs> it's really dark. The kids, that kid's got some, she's got some danger in her. But yeah. kids are so great because of that, uh, and you guys are probably experiencing this with your kids being young, that lack of self-awareness is just so intoxicating to watch Oh yeah, a kid that just does not care, is not invested in the opinions of others. Uh, not at all. No, no. They, they For instance... Uh, kids like to wear their ha- Halloween costumes for like two months. Right. Everywhere, to the <laughs> store, out in public, to dinner, you know, just dressed up like a witch or a mouse or something. And they're fully awesome? into it. It's like, I, it I, I always look ass. at kids that age and just envy that freedom. That freedom to just, you know, you know what? Screw it. I want to go as Dorothy right now, except I want to wear a rhino mask on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> Other people have a problem with it. Fuck them, right? Yeah. No one's making them wear the mask. Hey, it's 4th of July. I can wear whatever I want. <laughs> well, no one was making <laughs> us wear masks until now. Oh, yeah. How oh, about indeed. that? There you go. Do you like that one? <laughs> Not go. do anything for you? Way to pivot. Way to I'm pivot. Really, I'm really into the um, intense anti-mask discourse just because it's so flimsy. But you know, so I, think, I think that Mike Reiner is anti-mask. I believe I, he I, is. I saw yeah. some people making. Uh, he's a our coworker, Mike Reiner, former coworker, I guess, since he retired. But yeah, I think he may be anti-mask, from what I understand. You seen Norm in a mask? Mm, I haven't seen Norm since this whole thing started. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably holed up for our specific locations, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, this just goes to the anything can become a proxy to have the same old argument with the other side. 
you know, yeah. we're just divided. It's just we're in a toxic marriage right now, and it doesn't take much to trigger the same arguments that we will always have. All we need is a 22-year-old. It's, it's all culture war. And yeah. any, any any little thing that comes up. Remember for a while they were gonna they were trying to stoke a d- fight over uh, what to call it and whether calling it the Chinese flu was racist. The Chinese virus, like, the Kung flu. You're sitting here. I just like imagine you're sitting here. This virus is like ripping up like hundreds of thousands of people, and they're sitting here be like, "How dare you call that the Kung flu?" Like and that's what we're sitting right, here yeah. having uh, writing newspaper articles about, rather than. <laughs> doing something about all this i know it we can argue about anything it's amazing and if you've ever seen like a toxic couple you know you have a a couple friends who are married and everyone knows they shouldn't be married anymore but they stay around or maybe it's your parents or your parents friends and they just argue about anything and everything it's like how do you even have the energy to argue about stuff like this how do you not find it funny? I mean, that's the that's one of the major problems I have. Is uh, like last night, I was tweeting about a multi million dollar GoFundMe set up for a baby in the NICU who was born premature. Now, here on the Brunigs podcast, we we have some problems with the fact that if your baby is born premature, you're millions of dollars in medical debt. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a good way that to run a system. Good, but I tweeted about this, and I was like, you know, someone should tell that baby. I didn't know if it was a girl or boy, so I said S, you know, slash H-E, she or he, uh, you know, needs to get a job and get their life together, get insurance. And someone was like, you know, using anything other than he for the third person is torture of the English language and feminists have destroyed our ability (laughs) to communicate with these Mm -hmm. kinds of ridiculous conventions. And I was like, absolutely, get this fucking guy on the podcast. This guy rules. (laughs) (laughs) This is so far from the substance of the discussion, just completely incapable of approaching it. It, There's just some venue there for the same bullshit culture war Uh, argument. How dare you say he or she? I will interject at this point. Yeah, it's like people, I guess they're walking around with these same three or four arguments running in their head at all times and everything mm-hmm. looks like an entry ramp into that argument again. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely know the people who have like 10 things they say and they don't really know what else to do unless something triggers it. And if nothing triggers it, you just kind of work away to trigger it. Maybe I have to take a couple logical leaps, but I'll, I'll shoehorn it in here. <laughs> right. You got to respect it, honestly. Again, commitment to a bit. That is the number one uh, most important thing in terms of determining comedy. Gordo, did you see the new Star Wars movies? No, I haven't. I think I, it seemed like I checked out when Jar Jar Binks hit the scene and I never returned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember I remember that, the Jar Jar Binks must die discourse. Uh, yeah, that was insulting to viewers. Um, in retrospect, the, sequel, the prequels actually look a little better than the sequels, which just sucked so bad. Um, but I, I did, I did want to quiz you on who of the Star Wars cast uh, do you think would wear a mask, and who would be principled <laughs> in their opposition? Jar Jar Binks put a mask well, on. Well, oddly enough, the evil guy, Darth Vader, would wear a mask. Yeah, verified. And and probably has a HEPA filter in that whole deal too, somewhere in there. Yeah. That's a definitely N95 code. 
I think uh, of the of the original, like a uh, a New Hope type era, yeah. Star Wars characters. I think everyone except for maybe Han Solo, since he's yeah. the Maverick, so yeah. he wouldn't wear one. Yeah. But I and think you'd even big, see big like deal. Jabba the Hutt may mask up a little bit too. <laughs> <laughs> you'd have to have one of those big text masks. Yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. They're an opportunity for product placement. Uh, I've seen people in Trump masks around here. I've seen people in Italian flag masks. Yeah, no, I like people who are aggressive about their masks. Yeah. They're like, I'm not just going to protect myself. I'm going to try to trigger you and piss you off. That's the way to be. That's absolutely key. And I don't um, understand why, like, I, and I probably shouldn't worry about it so much, but I just don't understand why that is such a personal affront. Like, it really triggers there. And I understand, hey, we're America, we have rugged individualists here, and our country started kind of like that, and so on and so on. But, but like, the same people who cannot stand for the government to tell them to wear a mask, oftentimes in my life, are the same people who love authoritarianism. I mean, they love Absolutely. it. They love it when the government tells everyone what to do, in some sense. Certainly. No, they they absolutely want to wake cops up in that special way. Um, but they don't want to be told to wear a mask. Um, even like asked to wear a mask by the Costco is an imposition <laughs> on their liberty. Uh, but when cops beat the shit out of people for uh, protesting, mm -hmm. that's absolutely awesome. Um, and, you know, there's like a phase, I think, in the life of every... Uh, politically active Texan person where they are bothered by this hypocrisy. And then there's like a phase where you transcend that and just begin to think it's really funny and, and kind of intriguing in some kind of way. I don't know. Maybe that's like a Stockholm syndrome thing I've developed. They do seem to have like a unique, there do seem to be some unique, like genuinely libertarian figures in Texas who are not obsessed about taxes and whatever, but like they hate the cops and then they would also hate the masks and they also hate that you have to pasteurize your milk and they oh, also yeah. like, they just go right on down the line. You do see like, like the sort of redneck who hates the police like figure. And uh, I, I don't see that elsewhere. It seems like uh, elsewhere they're more, you know, in line with whatever the kind of conservative you know, line is where it's there. You do occasionally see someone like that, which is, uh, you don't know, I, good, good for you. I, I don't know. I find that character intriguing. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know that I would, I'm not at that point where I think it's funny. I mean, it's odd, but I, I think that I, I mean, I have some, like, I want to understand how they feel. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I want to understand how, and, and I think too often the, the left and the right does this thing to where we just we we're going to discount the way the other people are feeling or we're not going to listen to them or we're just finding the quickest thing that we can object to where we don't have to where we can get off the compassion superhighway and not have to figure out where this person is coming from but you know obviously people who are asked to wear a mask it's triggering something that's very deep in them that they don't want to do it. I think it's obviously more than just the inconvenience of it. And it's obviously more than just, well, my government is, is making me do this because the government makes us do all sorts of things and we don't have a problem with it. I don't exactly know what it is serving as a stand in for, um, in this case, but it is interesting to me as to why 
people are get so upset about it. And and I, I'm always wary of declaring that things are so much worse now than they've ever been, and and all of that. A lot of that hyperbolic talk is is useless. But something feels weird that's going on in our nation right now, and I think it's somewhere in the crossroads of the political upheaval that we've experienced and also i think it's merging with this the techno technological empowerment that people have to cause chaos but i do think that this kind of chaotic trolling where everyone's the joker now is leading it somewhere bad it all feels <laughs> like we're being gamed by our online world by the paper tiger that is the online world. We're just being controlled by it and we're all being led to do its bidding. We're all fighting like snarling dogs at the bottom of a well, not questioning, hey, can we work together to get out of the well? It's just, no, I just want to make sure that I'm willing to die down here as long as this other dog that I hate gets torn up too. Yeah, there's like an obvious way in which the the permanent culture war and the way in which it's destined to escalate seems inimical to actually accomplishing anything politically. Mm -hmm. uh, the goal at this point is a stalemate, right? If you can reverse the gains of the other guy and then hold the line, that's really the most you can hope for. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's something very nihilistic uh, that comes about when, you know, in recognizing that I, I, I think that quite similar um, to you, I'm very interested in how people feel for real, like understanding the world from their point of yeah, view. Yeah, no, Liz does a lot of really good reporting on, uh, like, uh, we went down to Texas, remember, and did reporting yeah. on the reopening of Texas when it first reopened, or what, you know, after COVID, and yeah. talked to some people there, see what they thought. Remember that? Yeah. We talked to that funeral director in Fort Worth. There was a funeral director who said that the deaths weren't necessarily, he thought that they were not on the, on the up top. He thought that they were being misrepresented. Yeah, he thought it was flu. Yeah. It's like, what happened to flu and pneumonia? That was his take, which is, I don't know. I don't know. It's sort of it, it, the same with Gordo. It's like, I don't know what to make of this because, I mean, maybe it's just true and he didn't get a whole lot of stuff. But, I mean, dude, you're, you're seeing dead bodies and they are, yeah, they are tracking these deaths. Like, you, you know, I don't know. Like, on some level, this is this is definitely happening and it probably is coming through your door and he's like, nah, it's not. Um, well, I, people, I think that, yeah. uh, as we kind of that subject of technological advancements and kind of how powerful we are in our own lives these days compared to humans throughout human history, uh, I think we're getting just more used to the idea of having things our way. And the Internet has made that possible now to where we can have the world presented to us in the way that we want it. And we've lost all tolerance for things not being the way we are. And that's why we now have a, this crazy scenario in which, and I don't know if Trump's really like this or not. They say he is. Some people say he is. Some people say he is. I don't know if it's you. <laughs> but you know that it's like, you don't want to come with him, come at him with news. He doesn't like. So just deliver the news that he likes. And I think, all of us are kind of Trump-like now. I think that most people, they just want to hear that the world is exactly the way that they think it is, no matter which political persuasion they are. And, you know, we talk about it, echo chambers and siloed information and all of that. But, I mean, I think that we're all kind of part of the problem if, unless you're one of those people who actively kind of courts 
being proved wrong. You know, unless you like being proved wrong with new information and that sort of thing, it just seems like I'm meeting fewer and fewer of those people now who yeah. love to find out that they're wrong about something. It's it's interesting because it seems like there is a there's a type of attitude that's like, look, I I like I have a sense of irony about history. I find it funny on some level, or amusing, or intriguing when I'm totally confounded. Um, this is like the curb your enthusiasm worldview, right? Like, uh, unexpected and, and hilarious confounding things happen and that adds mystery to life, right? I mean, it, it creates mystery, creates space for meaning. And so the fact that there can be these interesting reversals or discoveries or people do odd and unexpected things, I'm actually a really big fan of that. Um, which is why I spend so much time talking to people who are not like me, you know, doing in terms of my reporting and so forth. Um, but there's a limited appetite for that at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, uh, it's too tense to, I think, for a lot of people to enjoy those sorts of strange reversals and, and odd rabbit holes uh, that history takes us down occasionally. But what I don't like is that it feels and please tell me this is an overreaction that it feels like principles principle has just kind of gone away it's like yeah. a, no one really goes on principle anymore it's like well you can we used to be against violence but now you can punch someone if you know if they're on the wrong side and I <laughs> no, mean, it's, it's all who would group based punching that horrible group. person i mean nobody would defend that i mean it's not now it's okay Whereas used yeah. to, it used to be that we had the principle of, well, we don't punch people. Yeah. And and now it's just so ends justify the means and principles. And, and well, heck, look at, like, I would not, if you came to me five years ago and said, who is going to represent the God-fearing, family values, conservative, moral majority, Jerry Falwell Sr., non-cuckold uh, <laughs> type position? The non-cuck Falwell. I wouldn't have picked Donald Trump. I wouldn't have said, you know, that's the man who is a, that is a, a principled Christian man and me as a principled Christian voter, that's who I want. Yeah. But, you know, now he, now he is. And I think that it's, it's like, uh, it's not so important to have someone, I guess, principled in there. It's just, I want someone on my team that annoys the other one, the other side so much that I, I I'm willing to go along with him. And every wrong thing that he does, I will say it's okay because look how it drives that other side crazy so much. Right. It's absolutely triggering the libs is the totality of the politics there. Right. Yes. Um, the owning, more owning the one libs, another. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, there's something totally abortive about that because you can make people really upset. Uh, but yeah. That isn't well, it's a really road to nowhere. Politics. Like trying to construct and solve problems, and then it's like if all you need to do to poli s succeed politically is, oh look, I look how much I'm pissing off the other side. Like, and then your life is steadily getting worse. <laughs> like, you know, this isn't really. It, it gives you a little ju juice without actually fixing your problems. Well, it just kind of becomes confirmation that this has just now become a troll culture. It's yeah. just it's we're just trolling the other side and we love it if the other i mean how do i know that what i'm doing is right if it really bothers the other side that's my guiding principle here 
If right. I if the other side accepts my demands immediately, that means I didn't make my demands high enough. I need to pick something that makes them really uncomfortable. Right. And and I think, you know, in defense of you know, like I, I don't like it when people say that everyone who voted for Trump is racist. Yeah. I think that's ridiculously short sighted. There are a lot of people that vote for people for all sorts of reasons. And talking about that human compassion element of you know, the, the old person who's voting for Trump, I think a lot of them may vote for him out of fear or maybe they have, maybe they're worried about their 401k or whatever their guiding principle is that supports him. Or I, I just, I guess what I'm ranting against is the oversimplification of any of this mess. Yeah. You know, and the, the, the erasure of human texture. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of evangelicals, for instance, that I have talked to, don't like Trump. They're not under the impression that he is, you know, a, a good guy who's living his life the way they would like to see a life lived. But they feel like their only hope is uh, religious exemptions, right? Because they see the culture changing quickly and dramatically and shifting away from the type of culture that they want to live in. Yeah, I mean, and, it worked out, right? They, they, to, they're uh, confirming Amy Coney Barrett today. So from their perspective, even though, you know, Trump's a, gro- a grotesque that say, hey, our judges are in. We got what we wanted. Right. right. They're like, so, look, we just had to bet on him and, and wait it out. And he gave us Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and now Barrett. Right. And go. They think that that will protect them from, uh, you know, eventually having to follow laws that cause them, in their view, to have to act outside the parameters of their faith. Um, right. But, but when you talk to them, they don't really talk about evangelism anymore. They're not they don't believe that they're going to inspire a great awakening or a great conversion. Their only hope is in their mind to be sort of shielded. Yeah. It's from the, the bil- it's the, the, uh, what is it? The castle walls, uh, kind of, yeah, uh, approach like, look, we're does. in retreat. We need to hold on. Um, that's the strategy as opposed to spread, spread, spread. Right. Yeah. At well, least for and now. I think a lot of people see him as the bulwark that, prevents us prevents political correctness from completely overtaking America because he yeah. seems to be, and this seems to be true, the only person who seems to be completely immune from consequences of crazy things or missteps. You know, some comedian can make a misstep with words and then pay for it with no gigs for two years before they're able to reemerge. Uh-huh. And, and Trump does not, he seems to be immune to that. And so you go yeah. to the guy that has the natural immunity from political correctness. If that's their, what their little pet issue is, is that I, I'm concerned about political correct culture. Well, yeah, I go to and, the strong and, man who somehow has figured out the formula. And, and the formula he figured out is never apologize, never back down, never admit you were wrong. Uh, that's and exactly then it, right. you, you can't be canceled. That's yeah, the short circuit I, I agree of the with whole that one. thing is that he would not be shamed. And yep. the press was so used to being able to call someone out. Uh, this happened with his very first comment, right, with the uh, down the escalator and yeah. his first speech. And he said that. And I remember I was so well conditioned. I thought, okay, well, there you go. That's the end of his uh, candidacy right there. And then the next day, when I heard that, no, he didn't back down and he didn't apologize. I'm like, wait a second. He he didn't do the other part of the dosi do. I mean, these these are tried and true dance steps that he has to do now. Because the press has demanded it and, and you know, he's, he's got to do it. And you just said, no, I'm not doing it. And then 
Everybody went to their playbook and goes, okay, well, what happens if he doesn't do it? <laughs> okay, wait, we got nothing else here. We got no backup play. <laughs> the and, button and, doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. And then and now everyone in society can take a page, right? Because it works. Mm-hmm. You can uh, get out of basically any controversy. Uh, it will be interesting because we have, we have seen um, uh, like Cal Cunningham in North Carolina running for Senate, yeah. which uh, had these weird texts. I don't know if you saw that, Gordo. He was texting one of his campaign staffers. Uh, very, uh, I mean, there were sexual texts, but they were very, mm. uh, I don't know, pathetic in some level because they were so stiff. Anyways, hmm. that didn't seem to have hurt him at all. People are like, oh, hey, you can't just like cheat on your wife with your campaign staffer and send her texts about how, you know, you're going to hug her so hard or something. Um, like so you can't do that. And he's just like, mm, whatever, I'm just going to keep going. And he's hasn't been hurt at all in the polls or anything. So is that and then, better? Are we better off now? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yet, and then Ralph Northam. We have a, a system of... It's almost like we have an economy of shame, though, that has grown. I mean, in some oh, yeah. circles, we love publicly shaming people. Yes. We love this, uh, and we love being part of the crowd that can throw the lettuce. Right. And, now, what and, we're seeing, and, it seems and like... I, don't, I think that makes for a worse culture, too. I mean, we... Lo- and the thing is, is that we've gotten so addicted to the power that it seems to have provided us, that, that we can participate in the shaming, uh, that we never stop to think well is this ultimately going to work out how would i feel if i was on the other end of this would that be so great is this the way i is this the principle that i want our world to be governed on this idea of keeping massive amounts of shame with the click of a button shame is easier shaming someone's easier than it's ever been because i yeah, can no, do it from my armchair but it seems like there's been a like a divide between um you know, you can use these kind of tactics on people who are relatively powerless. You can get people fired from low-level stuff. We've seen this a lot in the media and politics world. Some staffer says something that may not even be offensive, but that people don't like, and boom, he's gone immediately. If someone who's at the top of an organization or more powerful or the, you know, the president or the governor or whatever, it doesn't work. And so it's like just become another tool for hitting people who can't protect themselves anyways. Um, I don't know. I disagree with you on that, Matt. I think that there's a lot of people who have CEOs who've had to step down and so on. These are powerful people who have had to pay the price of companies getting scared because a Twitter storm is gathering and they're taking some action to uh, get rid of someone instead of waiting it out or listening to it or allowing someone a path to redemption, it's just, let's get rid of, let's unload the, the ballast here. All of us in this room have had their lives touched in some way or another by Twitter getting them or their Well, have you, Gordo? Fired. I wonder, actually, it's an interesting question. Have, have you have you faced any anything from, you know, obviously your, you know, your bits push, push the envelope from time to time? Mm-hmm. Do, do you get any backlash? Have I've never gotten it off of Twitter uh, in, in the sense of something that I tweeted out that then gathered a storm. Be- and, and I've been, I've noticed that there seems to be a difference of if I said something on the radio. Yeah. Like that same thing that I said on the radio, I could not tweet. Yeah. There's something about the sterility of the tweet uh, without somebody hearing your voice or hearing the conversation that's surrounding the sentence, 
and that you can say it and it's somehow doesn't ding people in the same way. But Twitter becomes so instant. Like if someone wanted to respond on Twitter, it's like they got then they got to off of something that I said on the radio and I've got to go over to my computer and react here. And then it's not, they can't retweet, be quoting my tweet while they're being objecting to objecting to it and so on. So yeah, I think that Twitter is just something that it's probably best not to say too much on. Now, having said that, I think Liz, and I don't follow you, Matt, but I follow Liz. I need to follow you, Matt. That's, that's okay. But, but Liz <laughs> has done a pretty good job of, of managing a Twitter life of saying something that has some substance to it, having a voice there that shows her personality and, and it actually exemplifies her, her voice and point of view without being completely crushed by pissing some <laughs> people off. And maybe I'm not aware of controversies you've been involved in. Oh, well, but I'm been... permanently canceled. I'm always yep. in some, uh, but I just don't, you know, you don't have to engage with it. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're a, um writer the new york times is like daily campaigns basically but at that point it does kind of become noise right like whatever so people are i need to be fired again today i guess like you know is that right what yeah, I don't understand not, is, yeah how does the organization make a determination of we're not going to ride this one out and we're going to fire a rider or get rid of a rider or in the case of the new york times we'll come out and apologize for airing someone that had a view that most of you didn't like how do they oh, determine you, you, which you, you, which ones they're going to bail on and which ones they're just going to weather you never know you <laughs> never know it's total russian roulette um and so i i think that the safest thing is to you know like you say kind of play it a little bit close to the chest on twitter and um but you know i do still periodically make statements like you know, I, I, the Jeffrey Tubin thing, like, I don't know if he should be fired. I, you know, but certainly disciplined, et cetera. This was unintended. Um, and people did get really, really, really oh, yeah. furious about that. But my point of view was, look, it's a point of view I'm willing to stand behind. Mm -hmm. And it's, I'm not insulting someone. I'm not uh, name calling. I'm not being cruel. And I think as long as I could, you know, I think to myself, you know, it would be funny and weird if I had to defend this to my boss, but I could do it. Um, that's, that's like, that's my comfort zone with Twitter. If it's something that I is totally indefensible that I couldn't explain to my boss, um, then that's the point where I'll probably just put it in the Slack channel or something. So has there ever been an opinion that you've had that you do the the calculations on and say, is this... Yes, I could defend this to my boss, but do I want to, number one, and is this the, the hill I want to die on if it push came to shove? Oh, every day I make those calculations. <laughs> I was going to tweet that Borat 2 sucked this morning because um, I saw a bunch of people being like, it was really good. I really liked it. And I was like, it sucked. I didn't like it. Um, it was all right. I liked it. But uh, I just didn't, <laughs> didn't feel like it. I just didn't want to go through the... The whole thing. Um, and, you know, you only have so much trust with people, um, you know, because I'm sort of weird politically and culturally and in every other respect. You have to build up trust with people so that they'll be willing to listen to you in this climate. Um, and I, I try to, uh, you know, rely on that carefully. Mm -hmm. not not stretch it too far by you know wilding out 
on Twitter, acting the fool. Um, Gordo, one last question for you before we close out this fantastic hour. Will you come back on the Brunigs? <laughs> Why? Because we weren't able to get it done this time and have compelling content? Yeah, well, uh, you could be our Texas election night correspondent uh, <laughs> uh, calling in results. Um, uh, well, we just love yeah, your point of view. Anything like, big happens there, we can call you. Yeah. Yes, or I will call definitely come back, but only under the guise of an emergency pod. Absolutely. Okay, yes. the, next, uh, the next major privates issue... Uh, that winds up being a front page uh, matter. We will have you on for the emergency cast. Basically, next time yes. Tubin whips it out, I'll join. Yeah, you. yeah, <laughs> yes, Next time actually, the New Yorker has a Zoom staff call. Yeah. Any any uh, any celebrity privates news? Celebrities privates news. Yeah, I'm all over that. Uh, <laughs> that's what they should call TMZ, basically. Uh, <laughs> but if if Lamar Odom is again recovered unconscious in a brothel. Uh, you know, we'll have you giving Hunter a run for his money there. I'd love to. Yeah. And yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten, Liz, that one of your favorite subjects is one of mine, too, which is religion. Absolutely. Yeah, I most definitely. I mean, I... I a lingering fascination with that. Uh, yeah, people are like... Youth or from my days in college when I'm in philosophy, I was a philosophy major, and I got to doing deep dives into the Bible and the history and and codexes like that's some of my favorite stuff to see when i will go to a museum in europe and see one of the codexes that we you know one of the old ones that we get the the oldest version of mark um all yeah. in that cute yeah that well you know that's uh people ask me all the time why i'm interested in religion and i'm like yeah it's a good question you know why do i care about the truth <laughs> <laughs> the final truth of all things is is of great interest <laughs> And there's a lot of wacky stuff in there, too, that's fun. All right. All right. Thank you so much, Gordo. It's great talking to you. Thank you, guys. Love y'all. Have a good one. Love you. Bye. Bye.